0: Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall. The number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey.
1: Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. We are now halfway through training camp, so let's take a look at some of the good and bad things we've seen so far. The first good thing and the best thing we've seen yet is the play of young prospect Keandre Miller. Coaches have been extremely impressed with this player and have been raving about him in post interviews, as well as from the limited media that have been allowed to watch practice. Some of them are saying that he's been the most consistent ranger throughout camp. I think barring now any crazy developments or last-second injuries, not only, will this, not only will Miller be making the team, but he's going to be in the opening day lineup. The next positive actually comes from a negative. The negative being Mika Zibanejad has yet to practice with the team. Now, the Rangers have really given no updates on his availability, and the only thing Coach Quinn said earlier this week was that we are hoping to have him by opening night. So very vague statements from the Rangers on his availability. Now, the positive being Brett Howden. Howden has come in and filled in on the top line with Kreider and Buchnevich and played extremely well. Coming into camp, Howden was looking as like a major question mark and possibly having been making the team. Not only will he be making the team now, but if Mika remains out, he might be seeing top-line minutes. So quite the jump for Brett Howden. Unfortunately, the same positive development cannot be said for Libor Hayek. Hayek, who entered camp, as a major question mark and really did not play well in some prior NHL experience. Looks like he's not ready to take the next step yet. Looking at the Rangers' defensive pairings they've been playing with in uh, training camp so far, he looks to be around 9 or 10 on the depth chart. Now that can change in the next week, but it looks like he's bound for Hartford. He is only 22, so the Rangers should not be giving up on him just yet, but with a defensive depth in the Rangers' pipeline for prospects, I can see him being a trade chip in the near future. We'll see what the Rangers decide here in the next few days with the season opener coming up on Thursday. Really can't wait. Today, we're joined by former New York Ranger David Lenevu. During the Rangers' cup run to the finals in 2014, backup Cam Talbot injured himself in the conference finals. David, who was a black ace at the time, stepped up and stepped in as Henrik Lundqvist's backup for the remainder of the cup run, being just one play away from going in. We talked about that crazy experience, getting drafted by and playing for Wayne Gretzky, winning the IIHF Cup while he was playing over in Austria, and also his crazy experience in the KHL. Let's send it over to our interview with David. (laughs) We are joined today by former New York Ranger goaltender and the current NCAA record holder for lowest career goals allowed, David Lenevu. Welcome to the program.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So you're from Vancouver originally or... Fernie, British Columbia originally. So coming from that area, how did you actually get to Cornell?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, back in the day, Fernie... Ghost Riders, it was a junior A hockey team, and they used to be part of the Rocky Mountain Hockey League, which is a rough and tumble BC hockey league back in the day. Um, they went on to, and when my time was with them, joined the American West Hockey League. So there was the American West Hockey League, the North American Hockey League, and the USHL. Um, and we had great success that year under head coach Fred Harbinson, who's now with the Penticton Bees in the BC Hockey League, who's still having great success. And I got recruited out of there to come to where I currently live, which is Nanaimo, British Columbia. Um, head coach Bill Bestwick with the Nanaimo Clippers. And that program had a huge amount of success moving and still has a huge amount of success moving uh, kids onto the college ranks. And that's uh, Nanaimo Clippers and Cornell actually had a really good relationship back in the day. And there's lots of uh, recruits that were brought to Nanaimo to go to recruited directly out of Nanaimo to go to Cornell.
1: Now, while your time at Cornell, you had quite the career. Um, you were the ECAC ECAC all- uh, rookie team your first year, and then your second year, you led the team to the Frozen Four. Uh, you finished in the your first team All-American. Uh, you set the Cornell record for nine shutouts in a season, passing the Hall of Famer Ken Dryden. Uh, what was that? Like did you hear from Ken after you did that? Actually,
0: I, I did get the chance to speak to him and I actually spoke to him earlier in that year. Just, we do a annual phone to drum up uh, donation dollars that help run that program. And I, I, I spoke to him at that time. And then, yes, I had spoken to him after as well, but honestly, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that I still have the lowest goals against record, but that's only because I had two years in college and then I left them. So, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll blame it on that, but I, it was a great time when I was at college. I still look back at Cornell. I'm, you know, I'm still um, good friends with the coaching staff there. And as we do speak on a regular basis, uh, I really got to give Mike Schaefer credit. I got to give all my teammates the majority of the credit. You know, we had guys that sacrificed everything to, uh, to play defense at that school. And, you know, they're the big reason why for, for the success that we had as a program. And that's all we really cared about was the success as a program.
1: You were also selected to the Hobie Hattrick, which is the top three finalists for the Hobie Baker Award, which is the top collegiate hockey player. Was there a uh, award ceremony for that? Did you attend that or is that? Um
0: yeah, there was. When we were out at the Frozen Four, they had the ceremony there. So it was Peter Sani and uh, Chris Kunitz were, were both there with me. Peter went on to win the award and it was well-deserved. And Chris and I had uh, joked and talked there and we became... Uh, Somewhat close over the course of time and we played our whole pro careers together. He obviously had a little bit more success than I did in the pro career, winning some Stanley Cups and spending a lot of time with the the Penguins and other teams. But, uh, you know, it's just it's just one more stepping stone at NCAA level. And it was right around that time that I think the NCAA level is really starting to be recognized as as a real good stepping stone to that next level especially for people like myself which you would call a little bit more of a late bloomer than than coming out of somewhere like the whl or the ohl talking
1: about chris Kunitz and his time with pittsburgh he played with a goaltender their name mark andre flurry who you actually play with with the world juniors uh what was that experience like
0: yeah it was you know that's a dream come true for any canadian kid growing up um You know, right around this time, as you're, well, they're doing the bubble thing now, but everybody starts to gather around their TV right on Christmas Day to watch the World Juniors here in Canada. And that was, that was a dream come true. That was, um, Mark Andre and I roomed together, uh, during our time there. We trained together, we, we did everything together there. And, you know, he was a fantastic goaltender and a fantastic person, even better. And you can see that in all of his, interviews and his you know and his reactions and the things that he does on the ice on an ongoing basis he's just he's one of those guys that people love to be around he's fun but at the same time he goes to work and he gets the job done and you know he's had a fantastic career because of that
1: when you saw him as an 18 year old you knew right away that he was going to be a star goaltender I mean he was the I think he was the first overall pick that season
0: yeah you could just tell his athleticism um you know and in the in the early days in his pro career, people talked about him being a little bit out of control within what was normally the standard back then. When you think of a JS Jaguar who was so rigid and controlled, but also had a huge amount of a success, and you know you have to credit the work that Marc Andre put in to not only use this as athleticism, but also to bring some of that control. And you don't want to have too much rigid, rigidity and control within your within your game, because at the end of the day, all a coach really. Cares about is whether you stop the puck or not. So it doesn't matter your style. Just get the job done, and you know Mark Andre got the job done.
1: Now that World Junior happened in Halifax, was that just an an absolute crazy crowd every time you guys played?
0: Yeah, it was pretty insane. Um, you know, to to be able to play in front of your hometown fans, to have families there at the time, to have a sold out building every single game, you know. During that time, we had the two-two train at the same time, and every time he stepped on the ice and just leveled somebody, the place went insane. It was, it's an experience that you'll never forget. We'll never forget that, and it's just you know, it's just nice to have been part of that hockey Canada family, and and we still are.
1: Now you got taken forty six overall by uh, the Phoenix Coyotes. What was that draft day experience like?
0: It's pretty surreal. Um, you know, it's it's one of those other things that you dream of as a as a child growing up. And then to not knowing what's going to happen on draft day and then to get selected and then, you know, being selected to Phoenix at the time and having to meet Wayne Gretzky and go to dinner with the team and the executive staff that night with your family, it it was a pretty surreal experience, all of it. And, um, you know, having... Shane Shirla, who was a was a head scout back then for Phoenix, and he was one of the guys that kind of brought me in through that draft. Who was a hometown for any boy. You know, it's all all those dots connect and it's, it's a pretty special time.
1: And when you came into the AHL your first season, was it a big adjustment for you going from the college game to the AHL?
0: Uh I guess just the length of the schedule was the biggest adjustment. Uh one of the things I prided myself on was preparation for games and with a light college schedule, especially being an Ivy League team, there's you know, we only had two games a a week, so it wasn't wasn't anything too crazy, but then all of a sudden you go to the AHL schedule and you're constantly in back to back three games and three nights or four games and five nights. And, you know, I I don't know if a lot of people appreciate the amount of wear and tear on your body and on your mind when you're trying to go through one of those schedules and especially cause you're bussing or flying back and forth between cities as well. It's um, that definitely was, was a big adjustment, but at the end of the game day, hockey's hockey. And you know, we were just, you just have to adjust up to that next level. And we always had a good success of being able to adjust to the next highest peak of, of level. So it was more of a scheduling adjustment more than anything.
1: Now, in your second AHL season, you made the uh, All-Star Game. Was that something that, you know, obviously is a goal for every player, but was that a a really cool experience for you?
0: Yeah, always participating in an All-Star Game is pretty cool. Um, It's not the ultimate goal, and it's just kind of one of those side things that you're happy to be a part of. Uh, You do get to meet other guys around the league that are, you know, some of the best of the best and go on to do great things in hockey. So it's always cool having those connections. Um, and, the, and the experience is, is is a pretty fun experience just to go through for not only yourself, but for the fans of the league as well. Um, but the ultimate goal, obviously, is not the All-Star game. It's it's winning championships.
1: And the next year you made your NHL debut and you referenced the head coach for the Coyotes at the time was Wayne Gretzky. What was it like having him as a coach?
0: Yeah, it was definitely a, a different experience um, when you have somebody that high profile being the head coach at you know, there's definitely a different feel around around the team. But at the end of the day, it's just the same as any other NHL team out there. You're tasked with getting a job done, and that's to win hockey games. And, you know, it's just it's the same level of trying to get prepped and ready for the game and going out and doing your job.
1: And then any good stories from Gretzky from behind the bench?
0: Uh, nothing that comes to mind right off the top of my head. Um, it, it was just, you know, it's just an interesting experience when you have someone of that high profile nature that is when you're, especially when you have all the media around and everything else, everything's put under a little bit more of a microscope. Now we were in Phoenix, so there's not, uh, it's not like you're playing in Montreal or Toronto, but you know, whenever you travel anywhere, there's, there's a focus on, on the great one and which can definitely help some of the players because it helps take the focus off them and it just allows them to to go out and just do their job.
1: Was he viewed as like a player's coach in the locker room?
0: Um, I wouldn't say uh, I wasn't there long enough to experience exactly how he would have been viewed or classified from a, um, whether he's a player's coach or whether he was, um, you know, we had along with Gretzky, there was Rick Tockett there as well and Barry Smith. And uh, those guys did a lot of the day-to-day stuff um, with the players and obviously, has gone on to some great success in his own right as a, as a head coach himself.
1: You played a couple more years, with the coyotes organization, and then you got traded to the Rangers. Did you see that trade coming? Um, or was that a surprise to you?
0: Um, I didn't see the trade coming, but we had at that point asked for a trade. So we were we were hoping to be moved to another team. Um, I was very excited to be going to the Rangers organization because uh, Benoit Allaire was the goaltending coach there, and he was also the goaltending coach when I was originally with Phoenix. And him and I had a really good rapport together. And to the to this day, he is by far one of the best goaltending coaches that has ever graced the NHL. And you know, there's no better example than Henrik Lundqvist. And I really believe he was one of the key people along with a couple other goaltending coaches that I've had over the course of my career that was able to turn me around and have some more success in, in the later years of my career.
1: Yeah, you see almost every goaltender that he works with uh, uh, the next year. I mean, they get a bump in their game. What is something that different that he does that other goaltender coaches don't do that he can kind of find that, you know, whatever adjustments the game to make to take them to the next level?
0: You know, at the end of the day, all the goaltender coaches at that level are, are so good. But you know, he really simplifies it. And you know, you can talk about any aspect of life. The simple things are are the you know, if you focus on the simple things and you master those pieces, that's what's going to bring you to your best. So it's not only just simplifying your game, but it's also getting that belief back in yourself and that confidence. Because we all know, as goaltenders. When you have that confidence level and you have that simplicity structure in your game mastered, that's when you're at your best. And a confident goaltender, I don't care um, what player is out there, it is extremely difficult to beat a goaltender um, directly when that goaltender is on his game and has that much confidence. And that's what he instills in goaltenders. He instills that simplicity in the game. He instills that confidence and he builds the game around that. And it's just it's just so well done. And you could see that with Lundqvist. You see that with Talbot. You see that with all the goaltenders that came through uh, Benoit's realm uh, that just had so much success. I don't know of a goaltender that didn't have success under him.
1: Now does he work at all with the Meyer league goalies while you're there or uh, does he come down to Hartford to help?
0: Yeah. The, when I arrived in Hartford, he was there. Like he came immediately down um, and we started working together. We started going over video. We started, you know, and I was piecing my video from the time when I was in San Antonio and Phoenix. And he said, Hey, this is, this is where I think you've gotten outside of your game. And this is what we have to rein back in. And let's get back to, you know, what we started uh, in your early days in Phoenix. And We just made a couple of real minor corrections and it was like a light turned on for me again and that confidence was back. And, you know, we had a fantastic run the rest of the time when we were in Hartford and then going up as a black ace under the Rangers uh, when they were making
1: their run that year as well. Yeah, you had a really good close that season. Did the Rangers try to resign you at the end of the year or could you sign with them? With the Sharks following the season, did they try to retain you?
0: Yeah, it was it was an interesting, and that was a different one for me because uh, we had talks at the end of the year where they were going to potentially sign me for two more years. And I said, all right, let's go. I'm ready to sign. I'm not asking for anything crazy. We had a plan in place. And um, I was waiting for that contract to come across my agent's desk. And unfortunately, it never came. Um, and then when free agency opened up, it was Anaheim actually that uh, came in with a with an offer that was way more than I expected and I even at that point I told my agent I said hey listen this is a fantastic offer from these guys um, I but I really do would like to stick with the Rangers and if they can even come anywhere and compete with this just compete with the offer it doesn't have to be the same and it'd be a two-year deal I'm, I'm going back to the Rangers." Uh, they offered me a one year and it wasn't in the realm of what Anaheim was offering. So I made the choice to jump to Anaheim and, you know, I I looked also because Francois Allaire was there, uh, Benoit's brother. And obviously Francois Allaire had tons of success with Jaguer and Halak and guys of that nature. And he's still one of the best names in hockey. And, you know, I said, well, at the end of the day, I can't, it can't hurt me to get exposed to another Liar brother's teachings. And it didn't, you know, he's obviously a fantastic goaltender coach as well. So, you know, I, I did make that jump that year to, to go just, and it was just at the end of the day, it was just based on what the offers were coming in at the time.
1: Now, when you got to the Ducks, that first training camp, there were some really big veterans and actually three hall of famers on a team in Pronger, uh, team Mussolini and, and Niedermeyer. What was it like having those guys in the locker room for that training camp? Yeah,
0: that was pretty cool. Um, I still remember, We were in training camp, and we were just working on puck drills and passing the puck behind the net with guys like Niedemeyer and Pronger. And I remember going behind and stopping the puck behind the net and feeding it up to one of the forwards on the half wall. And it was a good pass. There was nothing wrong with it. And immediately Francois came over, and he talked to me. He said, hey, listen, um, it's great that you can handle the puck. However, your job is to stop the puck and set up for the defenseman. I said, okay, yeah, no problem. Um, Is there a reason – that I shouldn't pass the puck up. He said, well, let me put it to you this way as a forward. Would you rather receive a puck from a goaltender with a glove and a blocker, or would you rather receive a pass from Niedermeyer Pronger? It's a good point. Uh, I get it. I'm just stopping pucks and I'll let them do their job.
1: <laughs> so the following after that season, you made the jump overseas to the, uh, the Austrian league. What, uh, what call? what was the reason behind the move? Yeah, it was,
0: um, I didn't have a great season that year with Anaheim and with Iowa. I'll I'll be honest. I was not on my game that year. It was not a good year for me. And, you know, my options in the AHL were drying up at that time in the NHL. And I figured that, you know, the best chance for me was to, to make the leap. Um, They were offering good money over there at the time, which was nice. But at the end of the day, I just needed to kind of refocus my game and and get back on it. uh, The Red Bull organization provided me that chance and sure enough, we had a fantastic season. I had a fantastic goaltender coach over there as well. Um, and we ended up winning pretty much everything there was to win that year. We won the Austrian League. We won the Continental Cup. We won the year. Like there was every trophy we could possibly win. We won that year. Um, and it achieved my goal of, of winning some championships at the pro level. But more importantly, was to, you know, create a path back to the NHL for myself.
1: Now, what was the biggest adjustment for you going on to the um Onto that ice, was it just the size of it, or the speed of the game? Uh, no, going over there, I think the biggest
0: adjustment was the fact that they didn't hit. Um, it was almost like playing soccer some days, and we had a very Canadian team uh, with us. We had a lot of Canadian players on our on our team. Um, some had more than others than we played against, but you know, I equated some days to it was like playing soccer. Cause there just really wasn't a lot of contact over there. I was however, really surprised with the amount of skill over in the European leagues. Um, you don't really get exposed to a lot of guys that live and play over there for their entire careers. There are some gifted, gifted hockey players over there that for whatever reason, don't make the jump. But um, that level of skill that does exist, not only in Austria, but the rest of Europe is absolutely insane. Um, that amount of puck handling skill that those guys have and the shooting ability and it's it's, it is a different game over there it's played differently but you know the speed isn't isn't anything different
1: now you did come back to the united states after that great year and you signed with the blue jackets uh were there a lot of teams looking for you or was it um you know was there a lot of bitters for you after that season
0: uh there was a little bit of interest and the the blue jackets seemed like a good fit for for myself i had a um I had known a couple of guys in the organization and the goaltending coach that was there previously, and Perry Elderbroom, who also lives here on Vancouver Island, uh, was a good connection for me there as well. And it was a really good fit. Um, and it, at the end of the day, I was just looking for any opportunity to get back over to North America and, and make an impact at the at the pro level and especially at the NHL level, if I could make it back up there.
1: And you actually had a really good year in the AHL that year with uh, OKC- uh, <clears throat> Oklahoma City. Then you went back overseas again. How come? You, why did you go back over?
0: Well, the year with uh, the year with with Oklahoma with Edmonton system it was a fantastic year. Um, I believe that year we had one of the best coaches that exists in hockey. That's not coaching at the NHL level today. Still to this day, he's a he is an assistant coach with Dallas right now. Um, and then one of the reasons that we had to go back over. Overseas again, it just had to do with um, what was going on with the, the striking and the lockouts potential in the in the NHL again, and you know, it kind of forced the hand to to go over there. Um, I went over there a little bit late um, in the season, but we we had another successful season overseas in Austria.
1: And then after that, you came back and you had a pretty crazy 2013 14 season. Uh, you started off in the coast playing for the South Carolina Stingrays, and then you ended up playing for the Rangers in the Stanley Cup finals so kind of walk me through that whirlwind of a season for you.
0: Yeah that was a that was an interesting time it was you know I thought I was playing some of the best hockey of my life at that time especially when I was over in Austria the previous year and unfortunately by that time it just the offers weren't there I was a little bit older I wasn't a young guy anymore I was more of a veteran presence that had a little bit NHL experience but not a ton and Um, it was just, I was just trying to get back to North America again. And I thought that the season previous would have helped me, but it just wasn't enough. And so I had to start in the East Coast Hockey League and we were playing with the South Carolina Stingrays and, you know, we were fortunate to have a wonderful team and a lot of great teammates. And, you know, I did have a good run with them. Um, got a call up to Providence with the Bruins, uh, had, had a one game there that went really well, went back down and then right away got another call to Hartford and Hartford was having a, they're having a tough year that year. And I had previous experience with the Rangers in Hartford. So I was excited to get the chance to run up to Hartford. And, um, you know, we went from a team that was the bottom of the league to myself and my former Ivy league counterpart and Dove Gramet Morris. We went on a run together and we almost, we almost made the playoffs that year, which was a, basically an impossible task from the time that we came in and you know we had a fantastic end of the year there um last three months of the season there which 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 it was exciting it was, it was fun to be back in a, a familiar spot and then obviously that was the year that New York started making a run and I was lucky enough to be called up as a black ace again with those guys and then um then you never know what happens as a black ace. You know, a lot of guys, when they cut called up as a black ace, they're a little bit miserable because they're not in the lineup. And all you do is work out and skate every day. It is basically a conditioning camp for you. And that's all you do. And you only have, you know, eight guys or nine guys doing it. And then those guys start to dwindle each round as, as we go on, less and less black aces are held. And, you know, for me, I just wanted to be part of something that, a little bit bigger. And it would, you know, when you get to a certain point in the playoffs, you know, a lot of guys actually start changing their attitude where they, you know, they want team to go far. They want to be part of a winning organization. And, you know, the best place, the best time to get another contract is to win whether you're black ace or whether you're, you know, the first line. And when we went up to Montreal, it's a pretty exciting atmosphere Uh, you can walk around New York. Nobody knows who you are. It doesn't matter what your status is. You you go into Montreal and everybody knows who you are. And, you know, we were thankful and, you know, good enough to, to beat those guys. And all of a sudden we're in the finals and Cam got hurt. And there I was stepping up to the spot we always dreamed of being, which is the Stanley Cup finals. And it was just... You know, it was, there was a lot of luck in that year for sure, but it, you know, there was a lot of hard work of the years that went behind it to be able to get yourself into that position. Uh, Obviously I didn't get a chance to go into a game. However, I was ready and people always ask me about, well, you know, were you nervous? Where, did you want to actually go in? Well, as a hockey player, of course you do. You don't want to sit on the bench. You want to be part of that action. Now, of course, you don't want anything ever to happen to Henrik Lundqvist. He is the king. And he is, you know, he's the ultimate guy that you want in the pipes for you when you're, when you're doing that run. However, should something have happened, I was more than ready and willing and would be a, extremely excited to have jumped in and tried to help
1: propel that team to a win. Now, playing with Hank for that postseason, he was on fire that entire postseason. So in the Stanley Cup, you know, the extremely tough losses, you know, the three overtime losses. What was it like just seeing him the entire way through the playoffs just locked in?
0: You know, he's a pretty amazing guy. He, you know, he's a, he's a friendly guy. He's the guy that welcomes you in. Um, And he just, he just has such a passion and he was so focused and all he wanted to do was win. Like, you know, at that point where he was at in his career, you know, that was one of his best opportunities to, to get that championship. Obviously he's won Olympic gold and he's done all that, but the the Stanley cup had to, and it still has eluded him to this day and he deserved to win. He really did Uh, the way he played, type of person that he is you know I I felt I felt his pain as we went through that when we lost and you could see it it was evident you know after that final loss in overtime with LA and it was tough it was tough to you know it's tough to lose for any team in the finals whether you're a starting goaltender if you're a black ace or whoever you are Um, once you get to that point like there's there's nothing like winning And it's just it's even worse to lose. And I I still watch the finals and I still, you know, I feel for the guys that are on the other end of the fence when they lose in that position. Because, you know, unfortunately, I know what that feels like now and it's not an enviable position. But, you know, I look back at those memories fondly now because that's experience that I take forward with the rest of my life. And um, it's something that I have great pride in was being
1: able to be a part of that. After the first two games, of the finals, you guys lost both games in overtime in L.A., and you come back. What was the flight back to New York like? And also that first practice back you know, before Game Three. Was there, I don't know, a drag or is it more of a okay? We're still in this. You know, couple of bad balances here and there.
0: Yeah, you know, the flight back is it's a late overnight flight, so everybody's just trying to rest and recoup. And when we got back on the ice the next day, it's it's honestly like, hey guys, we there's no quitting. Like we're we've worked an entire season to be where we're at. It is now or never, like now is the time to to do everything you could possibly do. And, you know, so the the leaders step up and they, they talk about that. And we go on the ice and, you know, there's nothing special that we're doing on the ice at that time. It was just, it just making sure that we're game ready for the next game. But it's more of a, it's just more of that mental switch that, hey, listen, why would you ever quit now? Bring that confidence, bring that, get that swagger back. Let's go and let's refocus for this game. And it is a must win for us.
1: And what was it like being, you know, on the, on the bench or just on the in warmups for that game three at MSG for the finals?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Um, you know, as a black ace, you're sitting way up at the very top in the rafters and you look down and you can feel the energy in the building. But when you're at ice level, it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother experience. And, you know, for me at that time, it, you're, you're trying to, you want to enjoy the experience, but it's not about enjoying the experience at that time. It's, it's about focus, even as a backup goaltender. Anything can happen in any game and you have to be ready to go in. So, you know, I still, I still have the vivid memories of um, what was occurring at the time, but it wasn't from a point of where I was enjoying it. It was more trying to stay focused and be, being ready to go in should I be called.
1: And then in the locker room, who are the big voices in the locker room?
0: Well, Hanks, a guy that doesn't talk a lot, but when he does talk, everybody listens, and the room goes deathly quiet. Um, but he's more a, a leader by he's definitely a, a leader by example. Uh, St. Louis, he you know he was a guy that had been there, done that, and uh, and won. And you know he was definitely one of the guys that were that was one of the leaders. McDonough obviously was. A, a big part of that, you know. Those are two guys that just stick out in my mind. Stall, another one. You know, those guys were. Th- those are just the ones that immediately stick out in my in my mind.
1: In over your career, who were some of the you know veterans or that took you under their wing as you went along?
0: Um, you know, when I was in with my time at Phoenix, uh, Sean Burke, who was originally there, he he was a great guy for that. Like he was, he was wonderful for that. Um, in the minors, Jean Marc Pelche uh, in my, the first two years of my career, he was he was really good for that. Uh, Shane Doan was everybody knows he's one of the most fantastic captains that existed out there. Um, he was a fantastic leader within that organization. Um, you know, as I grew older in, in my career, I, I really developed a close relationship with my goaltending partner yondini in Oklahoma City. Uh, our families are still you know, as close as we can be from the distance that we're apart now. Uh, He's one of my favorite people. Um, And then, you know, Todd Nelson in OKC as well as as a coach. You know, I believe he is one of the best coaches that exist in the game of hockey today. And, you know, I I hope to see him as a head coach in the NHL very soon.
1: Now you went over and you finished your career in your last year. You went over to Russia. What was that experience like?
0: You know, that was a little bit interesting. It was... um, you know, once again, leaving mid-season, going over to uh, to an organization that was having a, a lot of financial difficulty at that time. Um, you know, we had heard stories that players weren't getting paid. And uh, when I jumped over there, I was assured that I was going to be paid. And then sure enough, I wasn't paid. So it... Um, It didn't last very long over there. I I came over expecting to start right away. Uh, The contracting didn't get done in time, so they had to play the goaltender who I was supposed to be replacing. There was another goaltender that was injured at the time. And then sure enough, that goaltender caught fire. Honest to God, he played some of the best hockey I've seen a goaltender play. And at that point, now my contract's sorting out. You're not going to put me in who hasn't really played a game that year when this guy has just caught fire. Um, And he did catch fire and he's playing wonderful hockey. And so I was there and I didn't get paid. The other goaltender was coming back and that was kind of the end of it. It was, it was kind of a bittersweet ending. Um, and I just couldn't come back to North America and get a job anymore.
1: Any crazy stories from over there?
0: Um, no, there wasn't really too much crazy going on there. You know, I hung out with a bunch of the Canadian guys and there's, uh, a couple of European guys that, uh, I got to know fairly well. We we hung out together for the time that I was over there, but it was just a sh- it was a very short time that I was there. Um, I do remember actually going to one of the guys' places right around New Year's, and they had some homemade Hungarian—I don't know what you want to call it—vodka or something. We had brought over a whiskey. We brought over some wine. Uh, it was me, and another Canadian. And we brought them to their place, and so we started drinking that and playing some you know drinking games and. We were winning, and those guys were, were getting after it. And then they brought out this Hungarian homebrew. I don't know what it was. All I remember is we started drinking that, and I don't remember the rest of the night. I remember waking up in my hotel room that morning going, what the heck just happened? And I, I definitely blame the homebrew
1: on that. Now, going back to your time in Phoenix, what was the, the difference, I guess? When, you know—you you play in all these different cities. Was there a bit the fan base, You know, uh, I guess – you hear these bad things with the fan base there and that, you know, possibly moving. Did you see that while you were there, that there's the lack of a fan base?
0: Yeah, it was, it was tough there. You know, I know when they originally planned that arena, they were trying to get it out to the Scottsdale area and uh, the Scottsdale council voted it down. And I don't know the full story behind it, but there was rumors that they didn't want that type of fan in that area. Uh, Scottsdale being the Ritzy neighborhood. And so it was put out way in Glendale where the football stadium was, which, you know, in theory works. However, you know, football fans in the US will drive hours and miles and or fly even to, to attend their home football teams games. Whereas in Arizona with hockey, which is a relative unknown, um, putting it somewhere where you're gonna have to drive forty five minutes or an hour to get to to even watch, it just Economically, unfortunately, it just didn't work out, and you know we go to those games, and we didn't have. There was very little fan base there. The biggest fans that, or the biggest times that we had fans in the stands is when teams like Detroit came to town, and that's because all the Canadian snowbirds, especially in the Toronto area, were big Detroit fans, and so that you know they would fill the stadium, and it would be all Detroit fans and not Arizona fans on, at the time, unfortunately. So it was, it was a. It was economically it was a really tough spot now Phoenix is a beautiful city i love I love the area I love the city I love the surrounding. Um, I still hope to you know one day have a, a second home down there or retirement and be a snowboard myself to go down to Phoenix. I love it that much down there um, but from a from an economic viability for a hockey team it is it's a tough go and I, I feel for the I feel for the ownership and management with trying to make it a go
1: and then what's your favorite city you played in? Um,
0: from a, from a hockey standpoint, I got to say it was New York. Um, there, nothing, nothing beats New York. Like just the, the vibe of that city, um, MSG, there's just so much history behind it from a, being a hometown guy in New York. It's just, there's, there's nothing it. And that organization, I can't speak enough good things about the New York organization. They're just, they run a, a fantastic organization, um, they treat everybody extremely well. They they want their players. They want the development. They want Hartford to get better. They they're trying to do everything they possibly can to make that organization and everybody in it successful. Um, and not like I said, the city itself. It's New York City. What else can you say?
1: And what's the one story that you even look back now and say, "Yeah, that that was that was great"? Or you know, a moment that you think back and you always keep. Oh, honestly, it's
0: it's the it's the run to. It's the run to the finals with with New York. I still remember we were we were sitting out or we were sitting in a bar as Black Aces that night when I got the call. Um, and I'll never forget getting the call that, hey, Cam's hurt and you're coming up. And I said, "What?" And they're like, "No, get your stuff ready. We're going." And I remember being with the other guys and you know, they're cheering and excited and they're like, Hey, you did it. You're the guy you're you, one of us is finally moving up. We're going like that. Was, they were so excited for me. And that was, that was pretty fantastic. And I remember being able to get on the phone with my, my parents and my in-laws and saying, Hey guys, I'm going to be part of the Stanley cup final run. Like I'm going to be backing up Lundquist. I, you know, start making your, start making your plans to come out and see us out here. Cause it's going to be a fantastic time. And I was lucky enough that I was able to have some of my family come out and just do that. It was It was truly a memorable experience, and that's something I'll never, ever forget.
1: That's great. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, Really appreciate you joining us, and uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Yeah, no, my pleasure. Always happy to uh, relive the old glory days.
1: Thank you again to David Lenevu for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun sitting down with him and talking to him about his career, but it was also great to get a behind the scenes look at that 2014 Cup Finals team. Now, that does it for episode five of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please hit the follow button on Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter at KHallNY for all things New York Rangers. And also, please follow the Broadway Hat Instagram account to be notified when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.